you learn something new every day. I'm Joan Boyko, Coordinator of Communications and Community Outreach for the Palm Springs Unified School District. We are proud to present a new podcast each week that focuses on the people, programs, projects, and activities here in the district. This show is produced by my dedicated team of student interns here in the Digital Arts Technology Academy, also known as DATA at Cathedral City High School under the direction of Mr. Bryce Johnson. Our interns are Danica Palmer, Raymond Ruiz, and Cynthia Alvarez. Thank you, thank you. For the beginning of what will be, I'm sure, a long year for all of you, but we're grateful for the work you've already done and what you will be doing this school year. And today on the show, I am very pleased to welcome back our Assistant Superintendent of Business Services, Dr. Brian Murray. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, Jones. Great to be here. For those who don't know you, and as we um, get ready to kick off a new school year in just about four days here, August 10th, how long have you been with Palm Springs Unified and in what capacities? Oh, well, that that might take up the entire show. Uh, Give us the shortened version. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm starting my 34th year in the district my 39th year totally in public education. So um, been around a while. I first came here in uh, August, right around right around 33 years ago uh, uh, from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I grew up uh, actually from fifth grade through a master's degree in Colorado Springs. So um, came here in 89, went to Palm Springs High School as a science teacher and a tennis coach. And so from there, I've, uh, I was in the classroom as a teacher for, well, up until uh, 95, 96 school year when I started as uh, a vice principal at Cathedral City High School. So from, from that point on is when I really started my administrative journey. So I've been an administrator in our district now, going on, well, whatever, uh, a long time. 20, 20, 20, I don't know, seven years. So, so you were, you were the uh, director of, well, you were the director of state and federal programs, I think. Yeah, that was my first district job. Right. And then, and then you were the director of secondary uh, curriculum and instruction. Yeah. And then there came this opportunity to become an assistant superintendent of business services. Now, I've asked you this before, but for people who haven't been listening all that long, is is this what you planned? Did you plan to go into business? And and if you didn't, talk about that journey and learning curve. Yeah. No, it it was, the ultimate goal has always been to be the superintendent. So when, when I was actually teaching at Cathedral City High School before I became an administrator. The goal was was to be the superintendent. And at that point, I started making decisions and taking steps to get me to that to that point. Um, and, and so that, that was really that was really the goal. Uh, the, the assistant superintendent of business services position was one that I evaluated that one that uh, out of all the assistant superintendent positions, one that I felt that I best fit me. Uh, I applied for it once previously and was um, not not selected. And oh, so, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then the second time around, um, 
I was actually uh, appointed an interim uh, assistant superintendent position of business services by uh, Dr. Chris Anderson, our former superintendent, I guess three superintendents ago now. And so, um, and that was on an interim basis. And um, from that from that point forward, I, I guess I did a, a good enough job for them to keep me around. And so I'm going on my ninth year in, in this current position here. So, and it's been terrific. Uh, saw a different part of the district that, that I had never really seen before. Uh, as an administrator, as a, as a site administrator, uh, a school site administrator, and as a teacher, uh, you know there's always things behind the scenes that help support kids and their learning and teachers and their teaching. And uh, it's great to be a part of that side of it. And so I'm, I feel very fortunate and blessed to be uh, doing what I'm doing. Well, what's what I've always, uh, well, not always, but since you've been, how many years have you been in this position already? I'm, start, I'm, I'm starting my ninth. Oh, I can't believe it. But I remember when you were, when you took over that position and I was just in awe of the fact that I knew your background and I knew that, yes, a lot of it, you know, peripherally, you knew a lot like I, the way most site administrators know, and you knew a little bit more because of your experience here in the district office, but most of the experience has been with ed services and, and that part of it, and not so much the business part. And I, I just really marveled at the fact that you just got right in there and, and studied everything you needed to study and talk to whoever you need to talk to. And you were, one quick study like you became an expert real quick and didn't hesitate to to say hey that i don't know yet and let me go check with the person who does know and um spent a lot of time with all your department heads to just learn everything about their departments and i i would i would um challenge anyone to say well that guy didn't grow up in the in the business end of things because you just seem like an expert and you are an expert and hmm. there was no there was no blip in the road so all right i'm going to stop praising you now yeah that's uh, that's you've gone way above and beyond <laughs> well i truly feel that way but give us an overview of you oversee several departments tell us what departments those are and about how many employees are in those departments uh okay the, the first department I'll go, I'll just do it in uh, alphabetical order. Um, the first the first department um, we'll go with is uh, facilities planning and development. Uh, there's five employees in that department uh, and it's led by the uh, executive director of facilities planning and development, Julie Arthur. And uh, she's been in the district, I think now going on 15 years or so. And so she does a, a tremendous job. She's heavily involved in CASH, the Coalition for Adequate School Housing in, in the state, a former president of CASH. Uh, she's very skilled in, in everything related to really facilities and all the laws and procedures related to facilities. She, and she just does a great job. And so we're really, really fortunate to have her in that position. After that is fiscal services. And that's currently led by Pete Van Busker. Uh, and so he's got a, a team of about 20 individuals that uh, are in that department. 
Those are the money people. Yeah, that includes accountants. It also includes accounts payable, accounts receivable, and it also includes our payroll team. And so a very important part of the district for sure. And they have a, a huge role making sure that uh, we pay people what they're supposed to be paid every every month. So, so the fiscal services division of business services is extremely important. And Pete stepped in and has done a, a tremendous job. Uh, so, uh, we're we're sorry to hear that um, in in December his plan is to retire uh, after serving many years as a fiscal services slash CBO in uh, California. So, we're we're. Uh, sad to see him go but excited to hopefully find a replacement for him that will do a great job uh, after that is maintenance and operations and that's led by greg shoemaker who's been in the district uh, i think well, over over 20 years now uh, and he's got a team of about 200 people that work to support uh, the grounds the maintenance and the custodial services of our district so another huge job and Greg's done a great job uh, keeping our schools in great shape and our grounds in great shape and so um, yeah he's he's uh, another really all-star on our team uh, after that is Sarah Phelps and she's our uh, director interim director of nutrition services and so she oversees a team of uh, I think about 120 uh, nutrition services staff many of, of whom are assigned here at the central kitchen and they prepare the food and then uh, we have a, a warehouse team in nutrition services that delivers food to our school sites and then of course we have our site-based nutrition services team that that varies uh, from one to as many as six, I believe, nutrition services staff that are out in our schools serving uh, food to students. After that, we've got our director of purchasing warehouse and reprographics, that's Celine Ahumada Torado. And she's new, she just started here a, a couple months ago. And she oversees purchasing, of which we have uh, three buyers and three uh, assistant buyers and a number of different folks that also work in the warehouse and they're responsible for receiving and they're also responsible for distributing mail on a daily basis to our school sites um, and so that's uh, again a really really important job and the print shop and the print that's shop huge. as well that's yeah. the deeper graphics part of that and that's led by paul martinez the warehouse is led by jonathan bowman paul a former student of mine actually at cathedral city high school oh i didn't know that before he transferred to Palm Springs High School and worked with uh, the late Greg and or uh, Bob Andrade, uh, and uh, has done a great job. I always love seeing former students uh, be influenced by you know our teachers or other leaders in the district, and then they they take a path to then come back to our district and and then do the thing they love doing and supporting kids and what they want to do. It's just it kind of goes full circle, and it's always great to see that. Uh, it happened, and so really. Well, proud. Paul Paul started it, and and I think it was his own initiation to start an internship program mm -hmm. with um, with students in the in the print shop, which he's expanded, and now there's very little they can't do there. Yeah. Um. And 
and are even, you know, helping nonprofits in the community by doing work for them at cost. And it, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. And it is great. And want to continue that for sure. All right. Well, so it took you half the show. We got one more. Oh, you have one more. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. One more position. And that's yeah. uh, Abdul uh, Boozrud. And he's our relatively new coordinator for transportation services. So uh, he comes to, comes to us from Long Beach Transit and uh, his responsibility is to coordinate uh, scheduling with uh, first student, our contracted transportation providers. So Abdul has stepped in and has done a great job in, in place of uh, Bob Spinoza, who was our former coordinator of transportation services who, who left uh, in, December to take a job in Colorado in uh, South Denver area, Littleton. So, so Abdul's done a great job. He stepped in, he's learning the ropes, learning uh, how to work with first student and how to best uh, have the contract and first student meet our needs as a school district and our, our schools. So happy to have Abdul uh, on our, on our team. So that's it. Uh, okay, so now I'll say it took you over half the show to just give an overview of all the departments that you oversee. It's, it's really mind boggling, but boy, do we have a hell of a team. And um, I know you're proud of all of them and, and we all are. And I don't like to these days focus on the pandemic very much because we're all trying to move forward. And, um, but the reality is it's gonna be here in some way, shape or form, probably forever, probably, hopefully it's like the flu and we'll all just get a shot every year. But I do have to, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, reflect a little bit about the um, work that, that was done within your departments. And I'll start with nutrition services because we had for the better part of a year and a half, most kids at home. For a full year, we had all kids at home. And yet we still had to feed them because they're, that, that's part of what we do. We feed kids and 89% um, and I don't know if that's accurate, but uh, a majority of our kids are, um, are a low income. And so our district feeds everyone for free and then we have to feed kids even when they're not physically in school. So what was that like? I mean, what was that like for, um, and, and I'm gonna have Sarah on and, and um, actually, I think she might, she might've been on a couple of weeks ago, but so just touch on this a little bit about what, what, what was that like to try to do the logistics of it and where did it land and how did it evolve and how many meals were served? Well, you probably know the exact number, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, Joan, uh, but we, we sold or sold, served millions of meals. Um, and, and it was truly a, a team effort and a collaborative effort uh, from everyone. We had our bus drivers from first student uh, work in the delivery of meals to different school bus stops. We also delivered uh, or distributed meals through our central kitchen here at the district uh, service center. Uh, we, uh, so, so we yeah, had, yeah, and we had drive-throughs at, at the sites too. I mean, did. at one time, I think we were, and of course this evolved as time went on and we, 
we changed the way we did things, but at one time, I think we were feeding at almost every site. Right. Like, parents yeah. were just able to drive through and pick up food. And then we kind of consolidated as the need yeah. lessened a little bit. And as it got to be too much for our current staff to just right. be, you know, I mean, you can only spread people so thin. That's right. Uh, no, but, that's, that's right, Joan. I mean, we had, that, that's the one thing I think a lot of folks don't, don't, understand or they don't they don't know frankly uh, that during the pandemic where everyone most everyone was locked in and at home um we we came we came to work every day uh we we and that was to make sure that um, our bills continue to be paid that food continued to be prepared received prepared and delivered that um rooms that were used by teachers to do distance learning were sanitized and cleaned every day uh, to make sure that we were still planning for the future with uh, classroom space and the implementation implementation of new programs like the transitional kindergarten uh, so so really uh, everyone uh, in business services with the exception of very very few individuals uh, came had to come into work to, to do their jobs and and so that that's something that uh, and and that's been going on throughout the pandemic so there wasn't any real distance working that happened through business services we were all considered essential employees and 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 that's how we treated it and that's how we did it and so you you know what brian you just you described that really well because i went right to nutrition services but you just went ahead and described how every, I mean, I guess the only, the only people that I could see that maybe moved from what they did before to something else, maybe are the custodians, because we didn't have, they didn't have to clean classrooms every day, but they certainly were needed and they certainly had plenty of other things to do. Um, but like you said, I mean, even purchasing, like that was a, that was very challenging and and probably very stressful for them as they tried to acquire all the PPE that was needed to, you know, especially when we were coming back for hybrid and we had to make sure that we had plexiglass and we had, you know, we had everything we needed, all the air purifiers and to make sure that everything was safe. And that's about the same time when you couldn't order stuff, like you couldn't find the stuff because there was so much demand and so few people. And so um, kudos to, to everybody um, in, in business services, because I think they're kind of like the unsung, unsung heroes. You know, they're people who it's obvious, you know, like I think teachers, it's a little more obvious and some other people like doctors and, you know, but like you said, the behind the scenes people, I mean, truly the nutrition services people are, you know, they didn't have a choice on whether they were gonna be, you know, with people. Yeah. They, had to, they had to distribute meals. Right, and, and, and just, to, just one, one more thing to, to, to say related to that is, yeah, they had they they had to, and they did their work uh, all with the specter of of having this disease uh, over their heads, uh, and right. and we and we did have people sadly that did contract the disease, and we did have people sadly that died from the disease uh, that worked in the district, 
and um, but they were they, they worked here. Uh, they didn't use it as an excuse to to not do their jobs. You know, they, in most cases, the vast majority of cases, and so. So, you know, I'll forever be grateful for our, our employees for the, the work they've done through this because it was truly extraordinary, the, the job they did. Yeah, well, kudos again, Brian, uh, for being the leader of all of those people. And I'm gonna switch gears now because otherwise I'm just gonna get depressed. So they don't wanna get depressed. Um, well, the next topic, uh, let's see what you have to say about it. Our overall uh, fiscal health, uh, you know, education is cyclical. Those of us who have been in the business for a long time know that. And it, it, the, the funding goes up, the funding goes down. Sometimes, you know, you have a windfall. Other times you have to do deep cuts. Where are we and what do the next couple of years look like? Great question, Joan. Um, there, there are a few things that, that between the time this is recorded and the time this is airing that right. and we'll have some we'll have some more answers related to our funding but the, the, the bottom line right now is that the state has a multi-billion dollar surplus and the the amount of money that uh, is earmarked currently for education is historically high Unfortunately, as a result of inflation and other things, the cost of things is, is going to be historically high here throughout the next couple of years as well. So, so and along with that, the specter of a recession is, is another thing that people are talking about. So, so there's a lot of uh, economic factors that are, uh, are concerning right now when it comes to our district. So with respect to funding, funding, as I said, is expected to, to be really, really good for public education in California. Part of the, part of the problem that, that we're dealing with and we have to mitigate in, in some way is our declining enrollment. If we were to take a look at our enrollment this year compared to uh, say a year ago or a year and a half ago, we're, we're down over a thousand students. So if you look if you look at a district as ours of around twenty thousand students, that's a significant decrease. And so, again, as of recording this program, the the school districts are are funded based on the attendance of those students enrolled in in, in the district schools. So with the enrollment down. And attendance in schools, especially during the 21-22 school year, being historically low, and that was because of the quarantining and the, uh, the required um, actions to stay out of school if, if students were sick, for sick for, for a period of time. It resulted in the lowest in, uh, attendance rates that, that I've ever seen in our district. So you, count, you put all of those things together along with a declining uh, group or enrollment of, of students and you have a situation where we have, yeah, the funding per student is at an all time high, but you have significantly fewer students contributing to that, uh, that, that equation. And so that, that's really the challenge for us is to again, try to provide, and we do provide a very high quality services to students. Uh, however, we have fewer students and trying to, to really soften uh, 
the blow when it comes to our funding and that impact on the classroom and making sure that instead of severely cutting our, our teacher force, we, we gradually do it to, to again soften the impact that fewer teachers has uh, or fewer, fewer students and then fewer teachers have on the overall educational program for students. So, so that's truly the biggest challenge right now is to make sure that, that we, we, we run the fine line between funding uh, our classrooms and our schools, and yet we still meet our reserves and we do all of the other things we're supposed to do uh, to keep our school district functioning at, at a, a level that is uh, approved and, uh, and meets the, the uh, guidelines of the county and, of course, the, the state as well. So, th so that's truly the challenge right now for us. And, and it, it's, uh, you know, you kind of, I'm sure fiscal services does this all the time where you, you have to balance, you know, this, you said, you know, that the state has um, uh, an, a surplus right now, and which means that maybe we're going to get more ADA than we usually do per student, but then that's not going to last forever. So if you hire people to you know, start new programs, then what happens when the funding goes down? Then you have to make cuts. So you have to like really like, right, pick and choose and weigh everything and make sure that it's going to be a sustainable program or it's something that, you know, we can do without later on. Right. And that's exactly right. We, we have to look and you know, I will say that the pandemic ha has uh, and our distance learning and the things that we've done to meet the, the needs of children through the pandemic. As a result of that, there were a number of innovative strategies and innovative programs that were developed in our district. And, and I would argue in, in pretty much every district across the United States. And so as we come out of that and as belt tightening has to happen, uh, we, we have to look and see, OK, are those new innovative programs that were really uh, birthed out of necessity to try to meet the needs of kids? Is that is that something that that we need to continue providing to students? And if so, what are we going to not do to make to make those other programs uh, continue? And so that's that's something that that we have to do also. I mean, again, we want to make sure that we're providing the best quality services for students. And, uh, and meeting as many, uh, the needs of many students as we, we need to and we, we have to, so. So I would assume that most of what you're talking about, and I, I, we don't have enough time to get into nitty gritty details, but are probably around technology, right? Those innovative programs that you're talking about. And I would argue, I guess, from a, just a person who's kind of sitting on the sidelines and watching all this, that it would be hard to go back, you know, with the, with the, like you said, like you would argue that um, these, these programs are truly innovative and were born out of necessity. But if you take them back now, like everybody's going to be like, well, what do you mean? This is great. We need this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those things that need, that we, that are working, meaning that the students are able to, to thrive and to learn and to grow and do all of those things that, that they need to do. 
to, to remove them and go back to the same old is not, is not the way to go. It, it's, it's something that um, I think we all agree we want to continue to do the things that are working and get rid of the things that aren't. And that's something that, that we have to do. So that would be the thing that we then have to measure against, okay, what are some of the things that maybe are working, but not at a level that are, is, is, would be um, what we'd want them to be and, and then go from there. And, uh, and, and, and I think that, I think we're ending on a very positive note because I think you're pointing out that it, that there are some silver linings that have come out of COVID. And one of them being that, um, you know, staff members, especially, but kids too, um, couldn't help but become kind of a lot more proficient in the use of technology and, um, and, and using it well and using it as a benefit. Because it, like you said, born out of necessity, we had plenty of staff members that ran the other way when it came to, you know, anything related to anything more than they had the bare minimum. And they had no choice. They all had to learn quick and right. they did it. So Brian, thank you very much for being here. It's always fun. It always goes quick. We'll have you back again. And thank you all for joining us. We learn something new every day. A new podcast is uploaded each week. Please subscribe by going to iTunes. Look, we learn something new. Press subscribe. Please tell all your friends to do the same. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.